Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 333. 333. I'm Tom Maluli and joining me today is Tim Maluli. Good morning. Good morning. So we're recording this the day before Thanksgiving. Ready for some uh, turkey and stuffing tomorrow? I'm ready. What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? I'm going to go with stuffing. Okay. But I'm also going to emphasize, as long as it's hot, that's the main... It's got to be hot. You know, like cold potatoes, no good. (laughs) Yeah, No good. No good. Yep. So how about you? Big mashed potato guy. Looking forward to that. Yeah. I'm thankful. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a wild year as we've chronicled in the podcast uh, here in 2020. So definitely a lot to be thankful for as we get you know into Thanksgiving tomorrow. You sit here and you think about things that you're thankful for. I, I'm, I'm in a way, I'm thankful for all the volatility that we had this year because it's provided a great opportunity to talk with clients and just kind of remind them that most of the money that we manage is long-term in nature. In fact, a lot of it is in retirement accounts. And this is money that really should not be too tactical or traded on a frequent basis. Yeah, it's been a really eye-opening year in the market. And it kind of just gave us the opportunity to, you know, stress the fact that we need to trust the process that we have here. You know, for for us too, even when the market was going down a lot in February, March, you know, there were some really, really volatile times during this year. And it it put things to the test, but it, you know, the, the process held strong throughout the year. And I think it was a really good opportunity multiple times to kind of reinforce why we do what we do. And it, it shows, like you said, with, with long-term money, the crazy fluctuations that you're going to see over a couple months span or a couple weeks or even a, just one calendar year, it's going to send you on a roller coaster ride sometimes. But keeping an eye on what matters in the long term, it really benefited you this year in, in 2020. I think uh, investors were harmed if they read the news headlines and tried to take action. Yeah. Based on that. And it, it's tough. I mean, we had every sort of headline thrown at us this year. There was many, many opportunities to get scared, rightfully so, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you should make, you know, scared decisions about your investments. I mean, there you can be frightened about what's going on with the virus or however you feel about other things going on in, in the country, in the world. But being able to separate the two things, your emotions from what you're doing with your investments, it, it's crucial. You know, one of the things that uh, we had heard for nearly 10 years going into 2020 was all of these people who are in the market or many of the people who have been in this market haven't really been through a bear market. Yeah. And admittedly, I don't know if this really qualifies as a bear market. It certainly qualifies as a recession, but I think everybody earned their bear market stripes yeah. this year. 
it's funny because now, you know, we saw the market go down. It was like 35% in six or seven weeks. But the with how fast it came back, people are going to say, well, you still haven't seen a bear market. That wasn't a real bear market. It was too quick. It's like, mm. well, I don't know. Stop moving the goalposts here. Like yeah. that counts. Yeah. What happened this year was very scary and it tested a lot of people. And it was, you know, looking back on it, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but looking back on it, it was a good learning opportunity for a lot of young people in the market and the industry, myself included. Going into 2020, throughout 2019, I heard a lot of forecasters say that we're, we're due for a recession. I'm going to go back to the same guy I've been quoting all year, Fed Governor uh, James Bullard. Uh, this guy is... Uh, He's a he's a great guy. If you see his name, uh, he's a very energetic guy. He gives a lot of interviews, uh, and he always has something upbeat and positive to say, even when times are tough. He usually finds a silver lining. So he's a I like following him because he's uh, he usually has the big picture in mind. In the beginning of the year, when things were really bad, he was one of these folks that came out and said, this is not a typical recession. It's a man-made recession. In fact, it's a shutdown. It's you know a manufactured type of economic slowdown. Uh, not your typical type of recession that we see. And uh, that was a, a message that I carried to a lot of folks on the phone uh, at the beginning of this year, that this is a man-made recession. It's not. It's a man-made slowdown. Uh, we shut down a, a many parts of the economy. So just last week, he came out and said, in his opinion, the recession ended sometime in late May, early June. But, you know, the textbook definition of a recession is two quarters with negative GDP, which is gross domestic product. So we did have a negative quarter in the first quarter of this year. Economy, because of the pandemic, slowed down about four or five percent. Uh, and then in the second quarter, we had a massive number, like down 35%. And then we had a nice bounce back in the third quarter. We're still compiling all the numbers. So we'll see what the fourth quarter brings. So technically, we had our two quarters of negative GDP. So we do qualify for a recession. Yeah, I think the the textbook definitions are one thing, but it's also just like use your eyes, look out there and see what's going on in the economy right now. I mean, we had another jobless numbers today that went up from last week, which went up from the week before that. Whether or not it was a man-made, it was a, a man-made shutdown recession, I think you can you can label it as that, but it still feels the same as any other recession for the everyday sure people out there. So yeah. like that, that label doesn't necessarily matter. Yeah. Um, I think it's just the people out of work, I think it's lasting a little, it's lasting longer than everyone expected. So who really knows? I mean, we have, you, we've heard news over the last couple of weeks about a handful of vaccines that are on the horizon, which should help in terms of getting things opened up and, you know, back to operating relatively normally. But 
yeah, I think it's just yeah. You, you sometimes need to separate the the numbers on the chart and just lo- like look out at what's, what's happening, happening right main, now on Main Street. Right, exactly. Yeah. And there's a huge disconnect. Even I mean, it's been polarizing this year. We there's the you know catchy phrase that the stock market isn't the economy, and we've seen that to a T. I mean, perfectly this year. We yesterday the Dow hit thirty thousand for the first time ever. And then we get a number today, jobless claims, more and more people are losing their jobs. So it's been a polarizing year across the board. And I don't think we're out of the woods at all. And so the stock market is starting to get very disconnected, in my opinion, from what's happening on Main Street. So we continue to see, uh, as you mentioned, increase in jobless claims. That's first-time filers. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the year 2020 has made some permanent damage, permanent damage to the economy. Business isn't going to be exactly as it was. And, you know, a lot of times when uh, times are tough, people people say, I just want things to go back to normal. This is the new normal. We have to get used to things being different than they were even a few months or a year ago. Yeah. I mean, it's been this way for eight, nine months now. So, at this point, this is this is normal for me. It's when you hear about what's going on in the stock market. You know, market indexes are bumping up on highs. It seems like every other week there's still a lot of turmoil and pain going on in the in the regular Main Street economy. What is what do you think that means for the listeners out there who you know just everyday people who might have some money in the market, but you know are worried about the economy in general? What what can we take away from that or lessons or you know advice for people to operate financially in their everyday life? Well, uh, you, you kind of have to take off your stock market hat and put on your financial planner hat. Look at the look at your balance sheet and look at your income statement. And we spend a lot of time with clients working on projecting your cash flow and seeing what your balance sheet looks like. And in recessions, no matter what length or time or depth of recessions, if you have a clean balance sheet, don't have a lot of debt, you have cash, and you have investments, you're probably going to be okay. Yeah. I think the winners that come out of this recessionary period are going to be the ones that have clean balance sheets. They have cash on hand, so they can continue to operate no matter what's happening. If their cash flow gets temporarily disrupted, uh, they are not servicing a lot of debt. They have some investments and they know that they're long term. I think they're going to be okay because, as I mentioned uh, a moment ago, I don't know if we're going to be out of the woods. I think the phrase that we'll hear in the first quarter of next year will be double dip recession. And so we had a maybe a brief violent recession in the first and second quarter of this year stretching into parts of the third quarter. I think that these people who are losing their jobs now in the fourth quarter of 2020, I think that's going to have a serious impact. And so we may be talking about a double dip recession. You know, the stock market can can take a lot of good news, but after a while, they're, you know, they're going to get weary. Right. Yeah. I think for me, it just says like have a you need to be like well-rounded in terms of your 
financial picture. Like you said, take the stock market hat off and put on your financial planner hat. Your investments are only one portion of the financial plan. We say it all the time. You can't invest your way out of other poor financial habits. So it's great to see the market, you know, continue to chug along. But yeah, there's there's a need for other areas of your financial life to get some attention as well. In a lot of conversations that I've had lately, the last few weeks with clients, uh, we've talked about how well the market has been doing, but it seems to me like many folks have short memories. Mm-hmm. That's good if you're a relief pitcher, especially <laughs> yeah. on the Mets, right. but uh, it can be a little dangerous if you don't keep tabs on history and what's going on. And so I have been reminding folks on several calls lately that let's just roll the clock back eight or nine months. We were told that two million people in the United States were going to die from this virus. And right now we've got somewhere between 250,000 and 300,000 who have sadly lost their lives because of this. There were folks who were on the phone with us literally panicking because to many people, if you just go by the headlines, it looked like the end of civilization as we know it. And many of these same people are now calling us back seven months, eight months, nine months later saying, how can we get more aggressive? It's a little bit of a psycho market. And so you kind of have to keep things in perspective and not get too greedy and not get too fearful. Just I think that's the best part of being an advisor is that you are the double yellow line going down the middle of the highway. You yeah. want to be right down the middle and talk people off the ledge from both sides. Yeah. It seems like in a lot of areas, it's just been extremes on both sides this year in a lot of different different ways. It's We've gone from extreme fear to extreme greed, yeah. back to extreme fear, back to extreme greed. So it's it's tough to kind of level yourself off there. So it's nice to have a an advisor to bounce questions off of. Now, we, you and I do these videos every week, mm-hmm. and Tim is behind the camera. I'm in front of the camera most of the time. But for several weeks uh, in October, we were prepping people, telling, telling them, we expect the market to be volatile through the election and most likely through the end of the year. And we have had volatility, but I think what a lot of people overlook is if the market goes up, I'm good with volatility. Right. So we've had this week alone, in a short week, we the market's up almost 1,000 points, like you just mentioned. We went through 30,000 yesterday on the Dow. And I think that people are okay with volatility as long as it's going up, but when they get volatility on the other side, not so good. Yeah, I think it's, uh, we should always expect volatility. That's the thing. Like, people were calling about the election or about, you know, what's going to happen with the, with politics in in the country and if that's going to affect their investments or not. You can just take that Take whatever the reason is out, and I think we should expect volatility. That's always the answer. Right. So it's not like we were saying anything groundbreaking, and it's not like it was a it was, it's a right or a wrong answer there. Like that is always the answer. There's yeah. always going to be volatility. People get hung up on the news headlines about the economy on a short-term basis. Yeah. So we've got an election coming. We're in a recession. We're doing this. We're doing that. So on a short-term basis, one day, one week, one month, one quarter, 
there's going to be news headlines that are going to trick you into making mistakes with your long-term investments. Long-term, five years, 10 years, it is about the economy. You know, one of the things that we got a lot of calls in late May, in June, and July, where clients were like, I can't believe this. Like we're gonna give we're gonna give all these gains back. We went down thirty five percent, forty percent, and it came back too fast. We're gonna have to give some of this back. You know what? Uh, the Fed pumped seven trillion dollars into the economy over two weekends. Just think about that. That's ten times what they did. Ten times what they did in two thousand eight. We can ride that Fed pumping for a long time. Yeah, I think. People say, oh, we have to we have to give those gains back. It's like, why? No, we don't. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. And I mean, like you said, the making short-term decisions with your money based on economic data, like the economy is one of the slowest moving things out there. Like it, you, you get data on like a quarterly basis or a yearly basis, and you're going to make day-to-day decisions based on on that there's there's this urgency these people uh, there's a lot of people in the market who feel like they have to be first right and so when they see a news headline there's a lot of people who want to you know instead of ready aim fire it's ready fire aim they wind up oh that's the traders mentality yeah you know just shoot yeah shoot first ask questions later so I have a question for you. The Dow hit 30,000 for the first time ever yesterday. Do round numbers matter in the market? If so, in what in what way do they matter? And if they don't, why do they not matter? The answer is they shouldn't matter, right? but they do. So there's a little bit of short-term momentum that happens when you get close to one of these round numbers. Now, my very first year in production as a broker, I spent a couple of years as a financial planner at EF Hutton, and then I became a broker. And uh, when I got uh, licensed as a broker in, at the beginning of 86, the Dow Jones was at 1,500, 1,550. And so it's 20 times higher now, 34 years later. I'll say that again, 20 times higher over 34 years. And I know that we did a video about that, mm-hmm. so I don't want to belabor the point. But it became a big deal when the Dow hit 2,000 at the beginning of 1987. And like clockwork, it was 2,000, 2,100, 22, 23, 24, all the way up to 2,700. 3,000 became a big deal. 5,000 became a big deal. I still have the Wall Street Journal from the day the Dow hit 10,000. That was in the 90s. And I was like, this is unbelievable to see this kind of growth. And, you know, 20,000, we went through and then we went back. We then went we, through it twice this year. That's right. <laughs> so the market got down to 18,000 at the trough. Yeah. So you, you raise a good point. Let's talk about this. So in January, the beginning of this year, the Dow Jones started the year at 28,846. And so we've now hit 30,000, which puts us at a 4% increase, not including dividends, for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Your mileage may vary, but we also spent time this year at 18.8. Right. So I think if the market were to, if today were the last day of the year, this would be one of the only years in history where the market was down 30% and finished up for the year in the same calendar year. That's yeah. 
insane. Yeah, I don't think uh, round numbers are completely irrelevant. I think from a psychological standpoint too, just looking at, like you said, just chronicling over the years, like I remember when we hit this and putting, it's, it's good for putting things into perspective and seeing how quickly things can move and how long it takes to move from one, one you know, milestone to the next. Um, it's good to track progress that way. You know, a few things for folks to keep in mind is that as the index, we talk about the Dow, as the index gets bigger, the numbers, you know, the, the percentage moves start yeah. to really change. So let's just say we finish the year at 30,000, the market goes up 20% next year, we're at 36,000. 6,000, I mean, that's four times what the entire index was when you started your career. Right. 1500. Right. I mean, we saw the market drop almost 15, I mean, over 1500 points in one day this year. Yeah, that's it's, it's, the entire amount of the index back in 1980, 84, 85. Right. So, so yeah, there's, there's a, a, a lot that's packed into it. The other thing to remind folks is that the 30 stocks that make up the Dow do not represent what's in your account unless your account is exactly invested the same with the same 30 names only mm -hmm. and at the right percentage, the right allocation mix. Yeah. So and I'll they change also, over time too. Well, thanks for bringing that. So uh, good segue because the 30 stocks that were in the Dow Jones in 1986 not there today. They're and all gone. I, I am, I'm going to have to look I after think we turn GE off the mic. I think was the last one. I think that was the last out. one. Um, I have to see when Chevron was added to the index because I think they were added in 87. In the 80s, I think there were something like four energy names in there. Now uh, I think Chevron's the only one left. Yeah. Uh, there were a lot of telecom names in there Verizon, ATT. Actually, Verizon wasn't even in it because there was no Verizon in 1986. It was. Yeah. Bell Atlantic. So I think, you know, round numbers and the Dow and indexes in general, they're important, but you need to put it into perspective in terms of, you know, what your investments are doing and if they even resemble the, the Dow Jones at all. So just keep that in mind when you're looking at these round numbers and the performance numbers from from the index. It might not equal one-to-one -one what your portfolio is doing. Yeah. So uh, Brendan raised a good point uh, last week where he said, what really matters is not necessarily where the market is or how you've performed compared to the market. The main thing is are you hitting your goals? And your goal may be, I don't want to have to worry about money in retirement. I just want to make sure that it's there. That should be your own personal Dow Jones Industrial Average. Yeah. Yeah, that ties it back to making sure that you know your investment portfolio works within the context of your financial plan, like we were talking about before. It's just one piece of the pie. So one last thing, uh, the Mets have a new owner. Yes, they do. What are your hopes for the franchise in terms of how the team is going to be run and are there any parallels that you can take uh from how they how you want them to run the business to how people can run their own personal lives financial oh boy lives. there's a lot to unpack there so yeah. as usual i'll give the tom Aluli too long of an answer <laughs> i've grown up as a met fan mrs payson bought the uh started the fan the franchise in the 60s when she passed away in 75 
Uh, it was turned over to the CEO, the chairman at the time was a stockbroker, a guy named M. Donald Grant. Mrs. Payson's daughter, who really had no interest at all in baseball, uh, became the the new owner of the team. They didn't want to spend money. They didn't want to uh, get involved in free agency, which is which was just beginning in nineteen in the mid seventies. Everybody in nineteen seventy nine. I mean, there were you know forty two people showing up at Shea Stadium for a game. Everybody was praying that the Mets would get new owners who would freely spend money. It's so funny that forty years later <laughs> we are waiting for old ownership who refuses to spend money. We're waiting for them to leave, and the new owner can come in and spend money. Yeah. Old habits die hard. Yeah, they do. So I'm optimistic that uh, Mr. Cohen will do a good job, make this franchise representative of the market that it's in. Mm -hmm. New York City market is huge. I gave up my season tickets in the mid-90s. Part of it was because we live in Monmouth County, so it's not easy to get to uh, the ballpark. But I was also ticked off at the team because they wouldn't spend money and they ran it like a—they ran it poorly. Rinky-dink operation. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, a, a, a close friend of mine, when I told him this, he laughed at me. He said, how, much, how many seats are in that ballpark? And I said, 55,000. He goes, you don't think 55,000 people in the New York City area are going to— want to go to a game it's like what do you, you think the Mets care that that you gave up your your tickets and I felt kind of foolish it's a principal thing though but I mean for me I think it's it's nice to hear that one of the first things Steve Cohen said when he bought the team was that he's immediately going to invest money into the franchise to build up the foundation of what was lacking you know the analytics department from top to bottom, going down from low A ball all the way up to the MLB club, he was going to pay his employees that were, you know, took pay cuts during the pandemic. He was going to just put a lot of money into building up the, you know, the bones of this franchise that had been whittled down, not just spending big money on free agents at the MLB level. And I think it's a good lesson for, for people to takeaway in you have to invest in yourself every once in a while and put some money back into your your franchise and build up the foundation from the ground up before you can kind of just uh you know decorate the top layer with expensive looking things if if there's nothing under the hood things are going to fall apart pretty quickly well said and that's why we spend so much time talking with clients about nuts and bolts what does your balance sheet look like what's your cash flow looking like these are things that really drive important decisions when it comes to investments and financial planning. So good good way to end up uh, Thanksgiving podcast, episode 333. Thanks for tuning in, and we will catch up with you in episode 334.